0: Hey everybody, this is Matt Fendora, and you're listening to the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast. The show that provides tools and insights to help you become the best version of yourself, focusing on mind, body, heart, and spirit. Without further ado, let's begin. Welcome back to the Choose to Live, Love and Grow podcast, the podcast all about being the best version of yourself through mind, body, heart and spirit. We are here today with Rob Key. Coming from both a corporate and nonprofit background, Rob has operated in senior management roles in the area of organizational leadership strategy, training and equipping the trans- and transforming individuals and teams for over 30 years. As a specialist in the neuroscience of conversation, Rob is one of the few globally certified coaches in the groundbreaking field of conversational intelligence. He works with executives and those who function in a leadership capacity to effectively take their communication to the next level. Rob is also the author of Point of Decision, God's Provision Versus Man's Solution, and a contributing author to Called to Coach. Some of Rob's proudest accomplishments include being a husband, father, and grandfather. What makes Rob's heart sing? God's grace. Without further ado, here's Rob. How are you doing today, Rob?
1: Doing great, Matt. So good to be on your program with you.
0: I'm glad uh, I can have somebody with your intelligence on uh, on this <laughs> podcast. Like, I'm, I'm looking forward to somebody who has such a defined niche of something that many people don't have well
1: thanks it's uh as far as the intelligent part hey that's a daily (laughs) that's a daily goal (laughs) so my first question is
0: what made you get into leadership of all things
1: yeah that's a another great question as we always say now right great question (laughs) um you know, leadership, it, it it seemed to come naturally. And I don't uh, in any way say that to, to be boastful. It, it seemed to be an awareness uh, early on that people are following and they're looking for somebody to lead, just as I was following people, right? And so um, even as a, uh, a younger man uh, in my teenage years, uh, it seemed to uh, be obvious that we were all looking for leaders and and how are we going to step into that role? And so, of course, so the rest of my life really has been, how do I do that effectively? How do I honor God in the way that I do that? And how do I um, be the best follower that I can be uh, for those that God places before me who are leading me in my life as well? So do you think that your faith was the biggest factor in you
0: going into leadership?
1: Uh, Absolutely. I think that we can have natural callings, and we don't necessarily uh, have to acknowledge God in those callings, sadly. Um, But because I acknowledged God early on in life, I realized that it was a responsibility. It wasn't something to flaunt around. It wasn't something to to take pride in as far as to be boastful about but it was a very huge responsibility and so that that kind of helped set the the perception that i had about what leadership really was
0: what made you get into taking it one level deeper what made you get into the conversational intelligent intelligence factor of leadership
1: yeah and that's a a whole story that we won't get into today but um the conversational intelligence actually was through the process of my uh, coaching certification and becoming an executive coach. Um, Through that process of becoming an executive coach and a corporate consultant, um, human behavior specialist, it just was a natural progression. And the next thing I knew, I'm starting to be introduced to these things that are at that next level of, of leadership coaching, if you will, one of the things was conversational intelligence. And uh, because it is so cutting edge and uh, corporations around the world have gleaned from understanding conversational intelligence, I thought, man that this sounds like awesome, right? I mean, the neuroscience of conversation that that sounds a little attractive right there. It's like, mm-hmm. wow, that what is that? And the biggest, takeaway I had from it was that this was God's design. Conversational intelligence isn't anything that we created or made up or discovered. It's something that God implemented or created in us as creatures that were created after his likeness. And all we needed to do was to tap in to how it works. And I, I, you know, my, my hope and desire was that and continues to be, if I can help others tap into what conversational intelligence is and how they can regulate that and monitor it and be aware of it, we can actually have much more meaningful conversations that connect rather than just communicate.
0: Mm-hmm. So could you explain what conversational intelligence is?
1: Sure. The simple answer is... Conversational intelligence uh, allows us or gives us an awareness to the neurochemicals. And and just to really simplify it, we're only going to talk about two. And uh, the one is cortisol and the other one is oxytocin. So when we're talking or if we're in a situation and we feel threatened, whether it's in just a conversation and we feel like somebody is demeaning us or talking down to us, whether uh, we're being chased by a bear through the woods. I mean, wh- whatever that is, that if we feel threatened, uh, are immediately our cortisol spikes. And when our cortisol spikes, we retreat into what is w- what some call the lower brain, and that's the amygdala. And so when we retreat into the amygdala, we go into a survival mode. And that survival mode um, is only interested in one thing, surviving, getting out alive. And so the four... The four ways that we deal with that is we either fight or flight, right? You've heard of those, fight or mm-hmm. flight. Well, now they've added freeze or appease. And so there's those are four different ways that we as individuals have a tendency to react towards that um, amygdala hijack is what we call that. Now, cortisol isn't a bad thing. I mean, if if a bear is chasing you, you need to be in your survival mode. You need to be out of there as quick as possible and find the, the quickest route home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are things that we need that cortisol for. But if we constantly live in a heightened uh, dosage of cortisol, it, it can actually shorten our life. It can, it can affect our health. It can affect our mental health, uh, our physical health, our spiritual health. So how do we not live in that space. And one of the ways we do that is, first of all, for us to be aware when we go there. Mm -hmm. If we're in a situation, maybe having a conversation with somebody and something spikes and we immediately feel that weight and we feel that we want to get out of here, right? We're survive mode. Let's take a breath for a minute and say, okay, ask ourselves, what triggered that? What was said? What smell was in the air at the time? Uh, what noise happened in the background that might have pulled me into my amygdala and created that that cortisol overload? And then try to, try to back out of that, realizing, okay, we're not in a bad situation. Um, maybe it's maybe it's something the person said. Maybe I can encourage them to reframe that. Okay, and that's as the listener, as the hearer, but as the speaker. We need to be aware of the person we're talking to. Are we creating that environment? Mm -hmm. You know, when we're talking to somebody and the next thing we know, they're like shutting down. You can feel that. And this isn't like a new age energy. It's just you can feel that spirit to spirit. You're like, oh, something shifted. Mm -hmm. Right. So then as the speaker, the communicator, we ask ourselves, what happened? We take take inventory of the environment around us, beginning with what did we say, and then we can backtrack and we can say, now listen, I I, I felt there's a shift right, right there when, when we were talking and I feel like I'm kind of losing you. Can you possibly share with me what I might have said or what might have triggered that? Uh, or if you can identify it, then you reframe the sentence and help them back out of that amygdala hijack. What that does... It down-regulates the cortisol and up-regulates the oxytocin. They know they're not in danger anymore. They're able to come out of their lower brain, right? They're able to, um, what they call the executive brain or the prefrontal cortex, they're able to go into that space. And that's where trust is built and human connection and human bonding is built. So um, in a nutshell, conversational intelligence is knowing how to not just communicate, because everything that I just talked about was communication, mm-hmm. but it might have been not what we wanted to communicate.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So how do we take that, renegotiate that, and bring it into a place of um, connection so that neither of us are hiding away from each other? We are both on the edge of our seat, can't can't wait to hear what the other person is going to say. hmm So in the
0: situation that you had uh, the two individuals, uh, let's say they're having a conversation and one essentially gets um, triggered in a way, how do those two individuals continue to move forward? If let's say it's something that is out of their control, like let's say something that happened in their past and that's why they were triggered. It just reminded them, just like you said, like maybe sometimes it was a smell.
1: How do you take that and move forward in the conversation? Absolutely. It's it's hard unless you start um asking questions and you go to a place of transparency um and, and safety. And and by by asking questions that you don't have answers to, you're building that trust. So mm-hmm. somebody starts shutting down. And you maybe approach them and say, are you doing okay? I noticed that there was a shift in our conversation. And did I say something that might have offended you? And they think about that. And they say, you know, I don't think so. Well, what could it have been? And you kind of go rehearse the conversation. As you do that, you're listening for their response, which might take them to a place of saying, you know, I don't know. I just didn't feel right, I guess. What about that didn't feel right? And you ask the questions that dig deeper. Once you get to that place that hopefully they're able to say, you know, I get it now. Um, I don't know why, but that reminded me of something that happened when I was a kid. Oh, you know what? That's perfectly understandable. Well, we can either go on and we can continue to talk in, in the language that I was talking in to the client or I can reframe things to avoid that verbiage so that it doesn't continue to create that trigger or to to trigger that uh, amygdala, okay, Mm -hmm. that cortisol. So by doing that, I've built trust. I've told them that I'm not interested in pushing my agenda. I'm interested in hearing what you have to say and I'm willing to stop. I'm willing to reframe in order to do just that.
0: I think um, one thing that, it, the questions come from genuine care. So it's not just like, oh, yeah. like, I'm, I, it's not like, oh, I don't want to do this or, or um, really care. It's, it's genuine care of, I want you to feel okay. I want you to feel safe yes. and I want to help you get there
1: so we can move forward in our relationship, whatever that relationship is. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great way to put it, Matt. I love that. You know, it's it's so easy for us to say, well, that's silly. Why would you feel like that? You know, I didn't mean anything like that. Well, obviously, they, it triggered them for some reason. And maybe in their conscious mind, they know that you would never want them to feel that way. But mm-hmm. maybe in their subconscious mind, they were triggered back to a memory of somebody in authority, somebody in a relationship that made them feel that way. Maybe use that same word or that same verbiage, and it automatically triggered them. Mm-hmm. So taking the time as you said, to caringly give them a safe place that you are truly interested in continuing our conversation and growing our relationship, that will take them to that uh, that that place of being able to express, you know, thank you. Thank you for for taking the time. And sometimes healing comes through that because mm. they start realizing, you know what? I do that to my wife all the time. Mm-hmm. Or I do that to my kids all the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or I do that to my coworkers. I, I get it now. You know, mm-hmm. I shut them down and I walk out and they think I'm mad. And I'm just, I don't want to talk to them anymore. Mm-hmm. And now I understand. So what you just said was a great example of, uh, or, or a great explanation of when they feel that you're genuinely interested in providing a safe place for them, mm-hmm. That says that says everything.
0: When you're giving your coaching to at the executive level, do you see some kind of uh, a disconnect there where people, maybe leaders aren't necessarily genuinely caring for their employees? Is there a disconnect there?
1: Yeah, it depends, of course, on the leader. It depends on the person you're talking to. Um, and, and we have, you know, I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, this is the only time in history we, we've had so many different generations alive at one particular mm. point right and so we've got th- this myriad of generations that are stepping into the marketplace and they're all trying to cohabitate and they were all trained a little bit differently
2: mm.
1: so it depends on the the leader that you're talking to there, there are times leaders feel they don't know the answers and again this is gen- I'm speaking in generalities mm-hmm. uh, it can be it can appear to be threatening it mm. can be a vulnerability that they're not comfortable with so they might start shutting down. And so as a coach, I have to be aware of that. Okay, mm. where is their unsafe space so that I can help that become a safe space? And if vulnerability uh, is an unsafe space for them, then the last thing I, I want to do is just headlong into there and say, you need to be vulnerable and you need to be, and it might all be right. But if I'm communicating that in the wrong way, then I'm not making the connection. Mm-hmm. What, have, what have I just done? I've triggered the amygdala, the cortisol's up and our session's over and they've built, they have lost trust in me. Mm-hmm. But if with that same leader, I allow them through questions at, that I ask them, start to understand why they do that. Is that necessary in today's work workspace? Um, is it necessary with that particular employee that they're dealing with? And it can come to a point where they realize I guess it's okay to be a little vulnerable. As a matter of fact, it's almost empowering because I can breathe again knowing I don't have to have all the answers. Uh
0: so for some of those, for some of the people who aren't necessarily at a uh leadership or an executive uh role, what um, key principles or strategies could they apply to take their communication to the next level?
1: Absolutely, um, Matt. Communication is is key. Communication is is central, it, and whether it's communicating uh, via radio, via hand signals, uh, via grunts—I mean, we have to communicate. And the greatest uh, quest. Seems to be trying to communicate on every with every individual that we can, we, you know. And we have people that are in comas, right? And what do we try to do? We try to communicate with them. How do we try to do that? What? by reading their brain waves? There's science out now that is actually starting to read and understand the brain waves, and they see the reactions, they see the responses. Um, I just saw uh, an entire special on uh, a brainwave reader where a woman is completely moot. she can't speak uh she has really no c- capability of of even typing everything she does is just it's so hard for her to communicate they they put these uh sensors on her brain and there is actually an avatar that picks up her brain waves as she's trying to talk and actually creating the words for her wow why because we want to communicate
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We want to connect, right? And so, uh, the the I'll I'll say the core tenets of conversational intelligence that would help anybody be able to take their conversations to the next strategy level would be the first thing is make make sure to listen, mm-hmm. listen actively and intentionally. Uh, we can listen actively and say, yeah, uh uh-huh, hmm, wow, but yet we're somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got to be intentional. We've got to be in the moment, and believe me, with all these devices we have, everything going on around us, it is so easy, one little ping of your phone, and you just left the room, Mm -hmm. even though your body's sitting there in front of your client. So listening actively and intentionally, once we do that, Uh, We go to that next, uh, that next tenant or that next basic core essential, and that is to ask questions that we don't have answers to. So once you're listening, if you hear something that you don't quite connect with, stop them. You know, excuse me, Matt, um, this is what you said, or this is what I heard you say. Can you explain that to me? What does that mean to you? Or what does that look like? Or what has your experience been? And then give the opportunity, give the uh, individual an opportunity to speak rather than you just answering the question for them, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have the answer. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. Ask questions that you don't have the answer to. And once you do that, it starts building that trust. They start feeling valued. And then the third thing is to double click. That's you know, in, in conversational intelligence, we call it double clicking and the double clicking is basically going to the next level. So once you uh, a- a- ask a question that you don't have an answer to and they continue to explain, then you double click and and you've you've heard the expressions of what else? Right. We ask that what else? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? "um, Why? And it's not an interrogation. It's true. Um, inquiry, you want to discover with them, and so when you use those three core uh, essentials of conversational intelligence, any conversation can actually become a, a, a way to connect with the person that you're talking to. And Matt, the, the the if I could do anything, I mean it's it's wonderful to be able to connect executives and their teams, and but if I could re- help reconnect husbands and wives. Mm. If I could help reconnect fathers and children, mothers and children, siblings, using these simple principles, everything in the corporate levels would, like, disappear. Mm-hmm. I, I I could work myself out of a job, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I'd be okay with that because um, I want to see the families grow stronger. Strong families are what's going to make strong companies, strong organizations. uh but sometimes we get it backwards.
0: I'm pretty sure I've used some of my the things that I've learned between my wife and I in our communication and then when I was in the brains, I'd go in there and be like, oh maybe I should try this different approach I'm like wow this this actually works maybe I should keep doing this instead of what I was doing <laughs>
1: yeah. oh. wow it works let's do it again <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel like we kind of already answered this one. How do our brains respond to the different types of conversations?
1: In, in in one in one way we kind of did is re- in regards to the amygdala, right? We go through mm-hmm. those four or five fight, fight, freeze, or appease. Um, uh, when we excuse I would, me,
0: I would love to before we continue because appease is new to me. What does appease mean? Sure. Okay.
1: So we'll just go through. The, the, so fight. Obviously, if you feel threatened, you're going to do whatever you can to get out of that conversation or out of that situation. You're gonna you're gonna fight. Uh, You will have an argument. You will walk out. Whatever you've got to do, you're done. Because you're not comfortable, you feel threatened. Okay. Flight. That's another obvious one. I'm just looking for the door. I'm waiting for the person sitting across the table from me to glance another direction and to get distracted with somebody else so that I can leave. Right. Mm -hmm. Leave that uncomfortable environment. Freeze. Freeze. Okay so freeze that's that's like the deer in the headlight look right we, we we think that if we just say nothing and and pretend as though we are immobile they might think that we're really not there and we can just uh avoid the conversation altogether so it's yeah. it's it's a, it's a, it's a freezing we're waiting for it to be over we're not contributing because we don't want it to last any longer longer than it has to. We just want to leave. Again, that's the end goal. Mm. The appease is the, the pleaser, right? Mm. Oh, I, I can disagree with you 100%. I can be totally uncomfortable. I cannot want to be there, but I'm going to say, oh, Matt, great. That's a great idea because I'm hoping that if I agree with you enough, you'll stop talking and let me leave. Mm. I'm going to appease you so that you feel like, Wow. I really made headway with Rob. That was a great time together. And all I wanted to do was give you enough yeses and attaboys (laughs) that you would say, he's got it. And then I could leave it out the back door. So that's the explanation. Now, the other way that your brain uh, reacts on the positive side, when we're uh, within our oxytocin, our prefrontal cortex and the oxytocin and and the endorphins, we're, we're feeling things, they're building trust. When you build trust and the oxytocin is is upregulated, the cortisol is downregulated, you're starting to build trust with the person sitting across the table from you. And that trust comes from value. Do you really value that person? And that's a huge thing. If you feel valued, you're going to trust more. And if you trust more, you're going to engage more. When you engage more, you're going to find better solutions for the problems that you're both encountering. So the trust is huge, and it's based off of that value. If you want to build trust quickly, find ways to add value. And I want to preface this. I I want to be very clear on this. When I say add value, as leaders, I say in the leadership realm, if you will, as leaders, we were taught that we bring the value to the table. Hmm. And, and I realize that things are changing a little bit in regards to that, but there is, there's a sense of personal pride that transcends all generations. Mm-hmm. So it really doesn't matter if you're a, a baby boomer, or a Gen Xer, or a Gen Z, there's a sense of pride in thinking, wow. I know the answer, or I should know the answer, so I'm going to just give it to them because that's what's going to save them, right? Mm -hmm. So we think bringing value is defined by us fixing the problem because, of course, we're the boss, so they're coming to us in order for us to speak value into an area that they were insufficient in their understanding about right, and mm-hmm. what, that's debatable, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So even though our intentions might intention might might originally be good uh, or pure to a point, it doesn't necessarily create the outcome that we would want. So, in order to build that value, I'm going to add value to you. By allowing you to add value to me. Mm. So my adding value to you might not be, Matt, here's what you need to do to fix your problem. My adding value to you might be, wow, Matt, that's definitely an interesting situation that you're in. What are your thoughts on how to how to solve that? Mm-hmm. And when you then give me an answer, I affirm that answer. It doesn't mean I have to agree 100%. And it doesn't mean it's the perfect answer. But it's an answer that came from you. And I'm going to value that. Mm-hmm. Wow, Matt, you know, I never thought about that. That's quite an interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's a little bit slanted to the left or right, and maybe there needs to be a little, okay, um, coaching, if you will. I could say something like, that's a great idea, Matt. Have you thought about adding this to it as well? What do you think about that? Would that help? Oh, now all of a sudden our value is added together because you, I added value to you by allowing you to tell me something I didn't know. And when I received it and I affirmed it, your value level went up. Which means your oxytocin level went up. You're in your mm-hmm. prefrontal cortex, and now you're open to hear what I have to say. And mm-hmm. now I don't say it as barking in order or telling you, well, that's a decent answer, Matt, but it was wrong. Let me tell you what to do. No, instead, mm-hmm. I say, man, that's a great answer, Matt. I I never thought about that. You know, if you thought what 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 if you thought about adding adding this to that as well? What do you think that would do? Well, now you're already open and receptive. Well, mm-hmm. he listened to me. So I should be able to listen to him too, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden we've got that value adding. And what happened? Our trust level went up. Our trust level went up. That means our human bonding is happening. And we're able to actually connect in an area that we wouldn't have been able to connect with five minutes ago.
0: This is a a good one. So what are some practical tips or exercises people can, can do today to improve their conversation?
1: Okay. That's a great, another great question, that. Um, I, I'm gonna give you one. Okay? okay. So this one is the 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 standard uh that we use a lot is the yes but or yes and. Mm. So when you're in a conversation with somebody and you say, yes, so you're trying to be, you know, an active listener, right? And you're trying to affirm yes, but. All of a sudden, we've negated everything they said, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh, okay, here we go. Time for the speech. Tell me how I got it wrong, mm-hmm. right?" When we say yes, but it negates and it it depletes value. When we say yes, and it adds value. Mm-hmm. Oh, Matt, that's awesome, and or yes, that's a good good. That's a great uh, solution, Matt, and. What if we did this? Mm. So I'm not taking away what you said. I'm saying, that was an awesome, awesome thing that you said. How can we build on that? What about this? Can we try this? The other way is saying, okay, Matt, I get it. That was a lame attempt. But what if we did this instead? Mm -hmm. Right? So I just completely negated our trust. Mm -hmm. Whereas with the yes and, It added the value. And one exercise that's actually a lot of fun is when you get a group of people together and you say, okay, I want you to figure out where you're going to go to dinner after work today. Let's just say that the company said, you did so well in the workshop today that we're going to treat you out to dinner. You guys have to decide though. And then you tell them, the first person makes a suggestion and every person after that around the group Starts with, yes, but. So somebody says, hey, let's go to Sapporo's off Lima. The next person says, yes, but I've heard their prices are kind of high. Next person says, yes, but I'm allergic to Asian food. Yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. Okay. Mm-hmm. You ask, after they went around the table and discussed it, then you ask them, well, where did you guys decide to go? We didn't, mm. we don't know where we're going yet, we're still working on it. But if you change that one word and somebody says, hey, let's go to, I'll just use the one that's right next door to the porous uh, Asakusa, I think is the name of it, right? The little Asian mm. restaurant. There. And the individual uh, next says, yes. And I've heard they have delicious food. And then the next person says, yes. And I I heard the environment's really good. And the next person says, Yes, have you tried their egg rolls? Right. So by the time you go, you're going around, it's like, where are you guys going to eat? Mm-hmm. A sakuza, right? Yeah. <laughs> so and, and and there can be other suggestions. Somebody might say, Yes. And have you tried this other place? Mm-hmm. So then that takes them down a different rabbit hole, right? Mm-hmm. But 99% of the time, that conversation comes out with an outcome. Mm -hmm. they all know where they're going to go eat after work Mm -hmm. the other conversation with the yes but it's it's always up in the air and even if they kind of came up with sort of a decision nobody's really thrilled about it Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're just they went into their amygdala (laughs) they're like when can this be over i'll eat dinner with you guys and be gone right Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah so the yes but yes and those are that's a that's such a such a basic foundational piece or exercise that you can use and you Mm -hmm. can use it every day. You can use it in your emails, your texts, your conversations, try it. And you'll be, you'll be totally surprised how well it works.
0: That is something I'm definitely going to try simple and effective.
1: Yes. (laughs)
0: So now that we're coming uh, up to the end of the show, I have three final questions I'd like to ask you. And these are three questions I ask all the guests. So the podcast is Choose to Live, Love, and Grow. And these are going to be one question on each topic. So okay. for the f- first one, what advice can you share about how to create a life that leaves a positive
1: impact on the world? Hmm. Well, being a follower of Christ, um, naturally, my answer is birthed out of my relationship with Christ. And I know how he lived so that I could live. And so it's my desire to do the same. And And to, to do that really wraps itself around humility. You know, we, we say love a lot and love is good and God is love. And, you know, we, we have all those. But uh, humility is such a foundation from which love should be birthed. And so, you know, my heart is, God, help me to live humbly.
0: What are some practical ways people can cultivate self-love?
1: Self-love. Well, again, uh, seeing what's going on in the world today, there is almost an unhealthy infatuation with self-love and that's not going to be popular matt um but self love be it ends up at times coming at any cost <clears throat> whether it's relationships with friends family it's uh, i am i i i am self i am i am in, in, in number one and uh that that does not what I'm saying does not negate the fact that we have self-love, that we should have some sort of self-love,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: just making sure that it's 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 done in temperance and through the glass of the gospel, through God's eyes. I mean, why why should I love myself? Scripture says that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. That's what that's what scripture tells us. Mm-hmm. Now the world tells us, "Oh, man is good, you know, innately good from the beginning, you know. That's not true. Look around at the world. See what we have done as human beings. The evil that we've created. But yet in Christ we can be we can have that understanding that he loved us. So if he loved us, we can love ourselves. And to love ourselves, we need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. We are, uh, for me, taking time in the scripture, mm-hmm. taking time to make sure that I'm focused on the one who created me, taking time to to spend uh, a, a, a portion of my time in prayer, speaking to him, conversing with him, um, having a, a time of worship. He's worthy of worship. Mm-hmm. When I do those things, I don't, you know, I'm taking care of, God makes sure I'm taking care of. Uh, so my answer to self-love might be different than what would be a uh, popular mainstream, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's contradictory in that meaning that I don't think you're supposed to uh, self abase either, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but my self value comes from the value that I see that God gave me because of what he did through his son.
0: And our final question, what strategies or practices do you recommend for people looking to enhance their self-awareness or self-reflection?
1: What strategies in order to increase self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Being sensitive and sensitive to, what's going on inside you as as well as what's going on inside the person sitting across the way from you. Um listening to the Holy Spirit that's inside of me is what allows me to do that. Because quite honestly Matt, I can get wrapped up in my head, right? I can I can get all wrapped up in what's going on around me. Um I can listen to the lies uh you know what what, what they call them self lies, you know, how we, we talk down to ourselves and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. The, the imposter syndrome, right? Um, we can get uh, wrapped up in those things and forget about what God says about us. And we can get so wrapped up in those things that we lose the awareness uh, of His voice into our lives. And another danger of that is that we lose the ability to be aware of what God is saying through us to the lives of those across the table from us, right? Mm-hmm. So if I get completely consumed with a crisis, uh, especially if, if if I'm talking to somebody and they're going through crisis, if I get consumed with their crisis, then I don't have the the ability to properly discern and to be able to speak life into them. And I will join in their panic Rather than saying, wait a minute, there's an awareness there. Uh, The Holy Spirit is sharing with me that I need to be able to bring that love and that peace in the midst of this crisis. And so to, to do that, to be aware of that means that I have to be able to listen to him speaking to my heart versus what's going on around me. When I do that, I'm able to speak into the lives of the person sitting across the table from me, which brings peace. And at the same time, I'm able to receive that same peace for me. And when I have that peace, it's going to emanate from me to the person uh, that I'm dealing with. Great answers, Rob. (laughs)
0: Uh, So how can people connect with
1: you? You can connect with me. Just uh, look up uh, Rob Key Solutions. Uh, It's robkeysolutions.com. And uh, that's R-O-B-K-E-E. And the word solutions, all one word.com. dot com. There's uh, uh, contact information there and all that fun stuff. Um, I just I, I love and enjoy connecting uh, with uh, precious people who just want sometimes just want somebody to talk to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in, in, in addition to the, the corporate consulting and the executive coaching and the team training, and the conversational intelligence, I love just being able to build relationship and get to know our community. And that's the way we do that. Mm-hmm.
0: And my final question for today is, how can we support
1: you? Oh, Matt, you can just keep praying for me, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yep, really. Um, that's all I can think of.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, Rob, I want to thank you for your time coming on here onto the show, and I just want to acknowledge you for everything that you've done for the community and continue to do.
1: Uh, It's really great having you on here. Matt, it's great being uh, your guest on the show. Thank you so much, and I appreciate your friendship as well. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Choose to Live, Love, and Grow podcast. I look forward to seeing you next week. Don't forget to live, love, love and grow to be the best version of you oh and one more thing if you or a young man that you know suffer from victim mindset or are not reaching their fullest potential then visit mattfandora.com to see how we can work together to become the best version of ourselves that's mattfandora.com the link will be in the show notes and don't forget to subscribe thank you and have an outstanding day